Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of the South Boss Slice. We are one week through the Australian Open down under and down to just eight singles players on both the men's and women's side in Melbourne. Roger Federer suffered a stunning upset loss. The world number one Simona Halep is out. And we have one Canadian still in the mix. Remember, you can find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. I'm Ben Lewis, joined by Mike McIntyre. And Mike, it's really amazing when we looked at the front end of the draw, what Milos Raonic was up against. Uh, to be here in the quarterfinals just a week later, I think is something very impressive. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, when we looked at that draw, uh, that was the toughest draw I think anyone had in the entire tournament. Uh, I almost want to say men's and women's side put together. Uh, poor Milos looking at that, and he had to get through Kyrgios. And he had to then potentially, and he did, have to get through Stan Wawrinka to, to continue. And, and that would have been a tall order for anyone. And, and poor Milo, she was the seeded player. And it was just, uh, you know, unfortunate because of, of Kyrgios and, and Wawrinka's ranking that he had to face them so early. And he gets through the two of them. And then he gets through uh, number four seed, Sasha Zverev. And he beats all three of those guys while only dropping a single set, which was to Wawrinka in a tiebreak. I, I don't think anyone could have predicted, first of all, getting through all those guys, let alone as, as cleanly as he managed to do. Yeah, it's it's been incredibly impressive. I, I mean, I think when I, I looked at the front end of the draw, obviously Nick Kyrgios was a dangerous spot, but Kyrgios had not been playing as well, and I, I still liked Milos to to come through there. And, and then you're looking second round at a three-time Grand Slam champion in Stan Favrinka, who had been playing well at the front end of 2019 with his tune-up, and uh, I, I thought that was a coin flip, and Milos Raonic has really just not only protected his serve all week, I thought especially uh, against Sasha Zverev, uh, that victory, I thought his movement was sharp. He was so solid at net, uh, you know, through four matches here, 107 aces, which I, I guess isn't surprising from him. But in terms of the other elements of his game, which, you know, maybe aren't sort of top 10 level, he was giving Sasha Zverev some fits at the baseline too. And a uh, very interesting post-match press conference that he says he thinks he's playing better now uh, than he was in 2016 when he got to world number three and reached the finals in Wimbledon. Yeah, and he's trying to make a Grand Slam semi for the first time since that Wimbledon in, in 2016. And I think we possibly would have seen it happen sooner if it weren't for all the injury issues he's had. So amazing that he's, he's fit and, and starting the season with his, with his health in order and uh, it's just been really cool also to hear so many uh, tennis pundits, not, not Canadian ones, but just internationally, giving Milos so much uh, credit for his fine play and sort of continued growth this week. And they're, they're giving some credit to Goran Ivanisevic, of course, as well, his coach, uh, for that uh, prog- progress that we're seeing from Milos. Uh, you know, the funny thing is now he's in the quarterfinals and he has, you know, potentially uh, one of his easier matches on paper anyways, uh, moving forward. And that always kind of makes me a little bit nervous after you've, you know, had so many big wins, impressive wins over top guys uh, or guys with so much talent uh, to then, you know, not let your foot off the pedal as you face a guy that you're uh, 3-0 and head-to-head in your career against. I don't think Milos has even lost a set against Lucas Puy. So hopefully, you know, he can carry forth the momentum, not get distracted by, uh, you know, perhaps uh, what, what he might think is not as much of a, a pressure match uh, to, to get to the Final Four to, to start his season off, I think would be fantastic, especially given I think Milos had kind of the least amount of hype amongst the Canadians coming into the tournament, and uh, he's obviously proving that, uh, that that shouldn't have been the case. 
Yeah, and cer- certainly pl- proving this was no sort of flash in the pan at the start of the tournament whatsoever. He's, he's carried forth that momentum. I think one thing that's going to benefit uh, to his advantage uh, facing 28th seed Luca Pui uh, is the fact that he will be very battle-tested. Normally, you're kind of working your way into the tournament as a as a better player, as a top 10, top 15, top 20. The first couple matches are easier. He started off as difficult, as challenging as you can get, and amazing to go through Nick Kyrgios, Stan Wawrinka, Pierre Zuhubert and Sasha Zverev and only have dropped one set uh, between those four matches is really impressive. And one element as well that I think is is certainly working uh, in his favor in this quarterfinal scenario with eight players. Uh, he's, to me, very clearly the best server remaining in the draw. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. that. The other ones have you know, fallen by the wayside. I think Kevin Anderson, who we kind of hyped up, and I know I felt really good about uh, Anderson's chances coming into the tournament, he went down earlier. Uh, yeah, Milos is, is the one with the big serve that, that's left. And Milos also, if you look at, uh, you know, after, say, Djokovic and Nadal, uh, has probably the best Grand Slam uh, track record of the guys that are, that are left in the draw, too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess Kaney Shikori did make a, a U.S. Open final at, at one point, but more consistency in terms of Grand Slam uh, runs from Milos Raonic and the Australian Open has remained one of his best Grand Slam tournaments. This is going to be uh, his fourth quarterfinals appearance, which is so impressive. We'll stick with the uh, Canadian content and move to Denis Shapovalov. I think when we looked at the front end of uh, his draw, uh, certainly wasn't nearly as scary as what was uh, as what Milos Raonic was facing, and he comfortably beat Pablo Andujar, then got past Taro Daniel with uh, very impressive matches, and then gets to the third round, of course, runs into that buzzsaw in Novak Djokovic and falls in four sets. To me, I, I thought this was definite steps forward. Was this a good tournament, do you think, for Dennis? Yeah, I mean, he did what he had to do. He did what he was basically expected to do. If he had lost first or second round, we would have been saying it was a disappointment, and, and rightly so. And uh, come on, there's there's realistically not much of a chance he was going to get by Novak in, in the third round uh, anyhow. So, you know, even taking a set off the world number one, and the, the heavy favorite coming into the event, I think, is a very positive thing for Dennis. I, I don't think he's going to leave Melbourne with, with any regret or, um, you know, expectations that things should have uh, gone differently for him. So 19 years old, he took care of what he was supposed to. He pushed the, the world number one in that third set. And, uh, you know, now it's time to get back to the, you know, the, the elements that I think he really has to work on this year, which is developing the all-around game, working on his plan B, keeping that serve sort of in check, and, and having more consistent results week in, week out at those 250, 500-level tournaments um, that are going to uh, you know, keep him in a top 25 position and help him build on his game and work towards having more success at a Masters tournament and eventual success at a slam. Yeah, I I'd certainly agree with that. And uh, one thing I thought he was doing a great job taking care of uh, in those first two matches was his serve. He was serving exceptionally well through the first two matches and obviously getting through in, in straight sets in both of them is a sign of that. And he was playing aggressive tennis from the baseline, but tactically I thought he was a little more sound than we've seen in the past. You know, we didn't have the sort of array of errors when he's, he's trying to be maybe kind of swinging out of his shoes a little bit. That changed a bit. Obviously, when he faced Novak Djokovic, I kind of felt that he was really nervous in that first set. He was having a tough time getting it going, making a lot of mistakes. He settled in, and it was nice to see some great compete from him in the third set. Uh, I mean, that 
could have easily been a straight sets loss. He was down 4-2 in the third battle back and, and took a set. I'm, I'm wondering, I guess, what the next stage for him is to get to a level like a, a Tsitsipas, uh, Kachanov, and Medvedev, who I feel they're also part of that next gen and maybe one step further right now. Yeah, I would say those guys definitely have uh, sort of achieved um, some more substance in terms of, um, I, I mean, I know that, that Dennis had his, his big run at that uh, Montreal Masters event a couple summers ago, and then again on clay last year in Madrid, which is fantastic. But yeah, I think making a finals of a Masters uh, 1000 or, or like Hatchinov getting your first Masters 1000, that would be huge. I think that's still maybe a little bit out of expectation for Dennis, but you know, not everyone has to progress at uh, at the same the same rate obviously look at you know Sasha Zverev who's done everything he can outside of slams but uh, I think he'd trade all that success to have had uh, even maybe just a, a final appearance at a slam by now so uh, I think for Dennis he's just got to you know uh, avoid looking too much at what the others in his uh, generation are doing focus on himself focus on improving you know week in and week out and you know like they say in hockey like one game at a time same thing, I think, applies for, for Dennis to stay grounded as he progresses as a, as a tennis pro. You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. You can find us on Twitter as well, at Ben Lewis SN590. And Mike is at Pro Tennis Fan. Just give an update on, on one other Canadian, Vashik Pospisil, uh, announcing he had lower back surgery uh, and will begin rehab. So hopefully we see him back on the tennis court soon enough. Uh, he skipped the Australian Open to get healthy, which is always a wise move going forward for your career. We'll delve further, I guess, into the men's draw here, Mike. And uh, it, we got to start with the big story of Roger Federer falling in the round of 16 to Stefano Tsitsipas. Look, to me, the story here was just how tremendous Tsitsipas played and not about a bad performance from Federer. But I, I thought it was a little premature, sort of the the sentence changing of the guard. I don't think we're quite there yet. No, I don't think so either. But it's fun, to, you know, for media to chase these stories and make it, you know, look exciting and get people to click and, and have a peek. But yeah, look, 37-year-old Roger Federer against, what is it, 20-year-old Stefano Tsitsipas? I, I mean, 17 years between them, and look at look at the scoreline. Look at how close that match was. You know, could have easily gone to a a uh, fifth set there for Roger, and it, and it didn't this time. And I think this loss, you know, is much easier for us to to understand and say, hey, he, he got beat by a guy who was just on his game, and he didn't play badly himself. It's not like uh, you know when he lost to John Millman at the U.S. Open last year. That one was a shocker for sure. This one, come on, these these things are going to happen at some point. It doesn't mean the the guard is changing. We still got Novak and and Rafa in the draw, but the young guys are pushing, and the young guys have certainly in the Masters 1000 level been able to beat these guys uh, at times, and it's going to start happening at at the Slams, and uh, and they're going to have their their turn at some point, uh, and yet there's still you know a lot of the season to go for Roger. I think he's going to get right back to it real quick. And, and to me, uh, the, the more interesting thing to come out of Roger Federer's Australian Open is the fact that at the end he's told us he's going to play the clay court season this year and he's going to make an appearance at Roland Garros, which uh, I didn't think we were ever going to see that again. So uh, that's got the, uh, the little Federer fan that's deep down buried inside of me kind of, uh, kind of excited uh, as well. Yeah, I, I guess there's a couple ways to take this. I, I saw a few people thinking that him announcing that he's going to play clay court events is a sign of an end, that he's taking it 
all uh, all in sort of in 2019, and this is his last season. I'm not really buying that. Uh, he says it's a, about his body and being healthy, and I, I think he wants to give Clay a shot and maybe just maybe he's considering his ranking because he would have he would have been defending 2000 points uh, at the Australian Open being defending champion and winning back to back years which is incredible in its own right and he's going to see his ranking i believe dip to number 7 which uh, he has not been used to in in some time and you think about how many points he could comfortably accumulate even if he's not winning titles going on the clay events surely uh, we can expect him making quarters semis and finals if he's playing on clay yeah, I think you're right on there. That's uh, that's a good call that he he wants to maintain that ranking so that when he gets to the grass course season, when he gets to Wimbledon and beyond, that he's got a favorable seed in those uh, events and with no points to to defend. Of course, even if he just has a mediocre run on clay, and I think Roger Federer is still such a fantastic all round player that he's going to have some success there. Maybe not finals, maybe not semifinals, but enough points that are going to keep him in that top 10 top five kind of game um it's going to be fun to watch because we haven't seen him on the surface in so long and when you think back to it my goodness if it wasn't for nadal uh and i mean we could say this about others on clay too (laughs) but roger was a very solid clay court player and he would have i would say certainly at least two or three french opens if it weren't for nadal's incredible dominance over all of those years so I am excited to see what happens. I'm going to be watching his first uh, clay court event back uh, very excitedly, whatever event he chooses to play. It's kind of funny. I saw a couple of smaller clay court events start to tweet him saying like, hey, if we can make your accommodation any easier for you, let us know. We'd love to have you. So it will be neat to see just how much he plays on the surface. But uh, I think, yeah, a good decision for uh, the rest of the season for him to maintain ranking. And also, it may be a little sentimentality, but it doesn't mean that this is, you know, suddenly his last season. I think very much so he still wants to play in the Olympics, which is in 2020. And and I'm certain if he's healthy and physically fit enough that that's going to be a goal before he does call it a day. Yeah, I believe that's a target for him, too. Yeah, that's a good point. I saw, I think, the Estoril Open, which is just a 250 event over in Portugal, uh, sending him a tweet saying, you know, come on out and we'll take care of you sort of thing. I- I'm not really anticipating he's going to be playing there, but uh, it will be fun to see which uh, clay court events he takes on and him back in uh, Roland Garros because it's certainly been a while. Uh, we'll look at the top half of the draw, and we-, we said Novak Djokovic was the consensus favorite coming in here, the number one seed. He's Dropped a couple sets. Denis Shapovalov took one. Daniel Medvedev, I thought, did a great job pushing him in the round of 16, but he's through unscathed for now. And next up, Kane Ishikori, which he has a 15-2 and two, uh, head-to-head mark against. H- how has Novak looked to you in this event, and is he still that consensus favorite? Yeah, well, the first two rounds, you know, straight sets, as expected, even against Song. I know some people said, oh, that could give him problems, but I think no disrespect to Joe Wilfred, but his, his prime is kind of coming and gone, and uh, especially in the best-of-five set, I wasn't worried about that one. To me, it's great to see that he's bounced back when he does drop a set against both Shapo and uh, Daniil Medvedev, that he's come back and taken the next set with authority, you know, six love over Shapo in the fourth and uh, Medvedev, he then took the, the next set 6-2 and then 6-3 to close out that match. So, you know, very good at getting back to business, getting refocused and, and staying on track. His fans have got to be thrilled that he's playing Nishikori next because, as you mentioned, such a favorable head-to-head record, including 14 straight victories. So, uh, you know, I think Nishikori making the quarterfinals, which is uh, his fourth uh, at the Australian Open, is a, is a good result from him. But I don't expect him to be going any further. And uh, so Djokovic, you know, no five setters, 
Um, uh, this is as good as, as I think he, he could be feeling heading into the last week of a slam and especially uh, looking forward to his quarterfinal uh, opponent as, as much as he, he can be, I guess, here with uh, Nishikori up next. Yeah, it's really incredible for Kei Nishikori actually to be in this quarterfinal match. His path has been uh, less than easy. It's been five sets, I believe, three of his four matches, uh, including going back to a real battle with Ivo Karlovic. And he's twice played in that new format, the 10-point tiebreaker in the fifth, which he's prevailed in both, uh, beating Pablo Carreño Busta most recently, which uh, unfortunately that event was a little bit mired by the ending. Uh, Carreño Busta had a major issue with a certain line call and not replaying a point and kind of stormed off court screaming at the umpire. Uh, unfortunate look uh, that, you know, kind of overshadowed a nice win for Kaney Shikori and a nice comeback from down two sets to love. He's going to potentially be exhausted going into that one as well. And if you're not physically fit uh, when you're facing Novak Djokovic, it's almost an impossible uphill battle to climb, but we'll see what happens there. We can take a peek. And, and thank goodness, sorry, sorry, no, thank go ahead. goodness for Nishikori that, uh, that the fifth set has been capped at a tie break. Otherwise, God knows how much more time he would have spent on court. And I know I tweeted out to you after or middle of his first round match when he was down two sets to none. I, I tagged you on Twitter because I know you had uh, sort of had some high hopes for Nishikori coming in. And as soon as I tweeted that he was down by two sets and I have an uncanny ability to do this to players, the match flipped and he came back and won love too and, and love. So, yeah. Um, so there you go. I just my propensity it, to. <laughs> is it a reverse jinx? What do we even call that? I, I think it's a reverse jinx. Yes. Okay, okay. Players should seek me out when they're having difficulty. I will tweet something, yes. and it'll put them back on the on the good track. Yeah, like top 25 players. They're in trouble. <laughs> Fire a tweet about them, and suddenly they turn it on. Uh, we'll, we'll jump to the bottom half of the draw. I had a lot of questions about what Rafael Nadal would be capable of coming into this event, even as the number two seed. Uh, look, we highlighted the fact that he won five of nine events that he played last year, which is just incredible. But at the same time, he had not played since the U.S open even missing his tune-up in brisbane with a thigh injury had surgery in the offseason it just seemed like so many things so many injuries that we've heard about throughout his career for rafael nadal that maybe we should doubt his chances but then i think about it a second time and it's rafael nadal why would he why would we ever doubt his chances right absolutely and to me i think it's really neat how third round you know, he he gets by a real up-and-coming talent in Alex Dimenauer, uh, you know, 6'1", 6'2", 6'4". And then in the next round, he takes out a real veteran like Burdick, Love, one, and then a tie break. So he's not struggling with the young kids. He's not struggling with the wily veterans. He's getting it done uh, in a very workmanlike uh, fashion against everyone he's coming up against right now. And it is funny, kind of, he's under he was under the radar because he hardly played any hardcore events last year. And because already 2019 starts out, and what are we hearing about? Oh, another Nadal injury, right? So the fact that he's playing this well, that he's keeping his time on court to a bare minimum, uh, you know, playing more aggressive, and that's by design to keep his, his matches shorter. Um, he's doing everything he has to at this point, and I'm super stoked to see him play against uh, TFO, who's also had, you know, a great uh, event, not the same kind of score lines. He's been on court longer. But uh, great to see a 21-year-old kid like, like TFO coming up, having his best ever slam result. And uh, it's going to be a, now a dynamite match against uh, Nadal. So the, the 32-year-old veteran against the 21-year-old uh, up-and-coming American. And uh, obviously Nadal, to me, the, the heavy favorite. He doesn't seem like he's being troubled by anything. 
And I think that's really all that, you know, is keeping is capable of keeping him back right now is, is if he suffers a, 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 an injury or, or something creeps up on him as he has, you know, in the past at these hard court slams. So knock on wood that he can be at his best. And, uh, and I think he's uh, reestablishing himself in our consciousness as a hard court threat, because when he's healthy, uh, yeah, he's tough to bet against. Eh? Yeah, and we just look at his results from last year. When he was at the hard court slams, it was injuries that derailed him there uh, at the U.S. Open against Juan Martín del Potro in that semifinal. A leg issue crept up. Same thing against uh, Marin Cilic in the quarterfinals here in Australia the same time last year. So I think they definitely had a discussion with his team, and Carlos Moya has certainly done a great job as coach to uh, figure out a way to shorten points, uh, make his game more aggressive and attacking right from the get-go after they're realizing you, you just can't be playing these four, four-and-a-half-hour marathon matches with guys like Team and Catch It Off. It's just not a recipe to win a best-of-five tournament getting through seven matches. It's just too much. And another big topic has been him changing, revamping that, that serve to make it a little more aggressive and powerful, and it's been uh, paying dividends. Yeah, and it's funny that it would take this long to start thinking like, hmm, maybe I should cut down my time <laughs> on court. Like, things that could have been brought to his attention earlier. Yeah. Um, but uh, to transition from Nadal, I know there's another Spaniard that you want to talk about, and, and rightly so, because you did call this one, and uh, and go ahead, take it, take it from there. Well, yeah, I, I said last week Roberto Bautista Agu was playing fantastic tennis. He beat Novak Djokovic in Doha. That led to a title. We had talked about how excellent Karen Kachanov had been, obviously at the Paris Masters last season, and was this uh, rising star, one of the, probably the best Russian on tour, really. And uh, they were slated for an encounter in the third round. Bautista Agu won that in straight sets. He beat Andy Murray in the first match, which was a very emotional up and down five setter and now he's getting past Marin Cilic in five sets and he is into the quarterfinals my dark horse pick I feel like when the pressure is off with these predictions I tend to do much better <laughs> it's a great feeling hey when your dark horse pick has a good run yeah uh it's it's like it's just it's different than when you pick the obvious ones or the you know there's something that's truly satisfying so I, I get where you're where are you coming from? I think he's in uh, kind of deep now against Sissipas just by virtue of how much time he spent on court with three five-set matches. I mean, mm-hmm. not, the, not the easy way of, of going through some of these guys, but boy, he's beaten, yeah, big names, eh, Kachanov and, and Chilich, who's had Aussie Open success in the past, not to mention Murray, which could have been such a distraction for any player going up against Murray with all the, you know, the buzz and the potential retirement last match kind of stuff that was heading into that match. So, Good for RBA to uh, to be uh, getting through all these matches. Uh, never played Pass before in a tour match, and um, the first Grand Slam quarterfinal for Pass. I'm pretty excited for him. I'm sure you're looking for your your dark horse pick to carry it forward, but I think for Pass to to have his first now Slam real breakthrough, and after watching him do so well at the Rogers Cup last summer, he was just so impressive to me there, where he was going through so many top 10 opponents. I mean, he knocked off Dominic Team, Novak Djokovic, one of Djokovic's only losses uh, post-Wimbledon, really, uh, for the season. He beat Zverev, he beat Kevin Anderson, and finally was taken out by Nadal. So it's, it's nice to see someone who you've witnessed their emergence at your you know, hometown, local uh, you know, event here in Toronto at the Rogers Cup, now having that moment at, uh, at, a, at a major and, uh, you know, 10 years between Bautista Agu and Sissipas. And I just think the freshness of the, uh, the young Greek player is going to be uh, maybe key in this one. 
Yeah, it was uh, kind of incredible also to see the, the Greek contingency that's that's down in Melbourne, Australia, supporting them outside Rod Laver Arena, cheering like crazy when he beats uh, Roger Federer. I, I do think he's the favorite in this match with, with RBA, who's just this great baseline grinder, but he's really, really had to grind and spend a lot of hours on court, as you mentioned. Pass, I think the question that, that will deserve some answering is, can he come off the high uh, of beating Roger Federer? Uh, and, and stay focused and, and bring that level and en- energy and intensity that he had against Federer to his quarterfinal match. Yeah, like avoid the Millman letdown, I guess. Eh? Or exactly. The, uh, yeah, and, and understandably so. I mean, for, imagine for a kid, a kid, but a 20-year-old, the feeling it must be to beat Roger Federer. I mean, since your first conscious memory, Federer's been like the best or one of the top two or three best tennis players in the world. So... It's pretty incredible. I mean, they played at the Hopman Cup just a couple of weeks ago, but I don't put much stock in that one. Uh, Sissipas getting it done here in a slam. Uh, you're right. He's going to have to take a deep breath and, and celebrate this, this big victory over, you know, one of his potentially like idols or, or players he's, you know, uh, watched for so, such a long time. Put that off until after the tournament, refocus and, and get back to business here. Yeah. Well, uh, shift course to the women's side. You are listening to the Southpaw Slice. Find us on Twitter at Southpaw underscore Slice. Follow us on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. We will start with the Canadians who were in action for us uh, down under and Jeannie Bouchard. I thought pretty positive tournament. I think we felt like this was going to be the case that she could get off uh, to a strong start and produce a victory against Peng Shui, which she did. And then she faces Serena Williams in the second round. No shame in losing to Serena the way she is playing right now. Yeah, I mean, this is like when we talked about Shapovalov there. Uh, you know, she got to where she was, you know, hopefully expected to, to basically get to, and and no shame in losing to a player like Serena Williams. I mean, if this had been a year ago, uh, I would have said when Serena didn't have really many matches under her belt. I know she came back just after the Aussie Open, but, you know, if, if it was early in the comeback, then maybe you get your hopes up a little bit. Although at that time, Jeannie really wasn't playing any ball that, that scared anybody. So she's come a long way. Uh, never mind the, the score line. What I liked also, you know, end of the match, and there's a smiling Bouchard at the net after a loss. And how often do we ever see that? Yeah. Normally it's like quick as handshake ever. Get me off the court. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, maybe that's because she's playing such a legendary player like Serena. And the two do have a, a nice little Twitter friendship, if you can call it that, where they like a lot of each other's posts and a lot of emojis in there. But it, it is nice to see Bouchard smiling even in defeat. And I think it bodes well moving forward. She seems like she's, she's in such a better uh, mental headspace right now. And I, I hope that carries forward back in the top 100, comfortably uh, having our, our Canadian number one as, as Jeannie again. And, um, you know, yeah, I've, I've cautiously optimistic, I think is what I mentioned last week with, with Jeannie's season, I think if she can get back in the top 50, that's a real, real positive for her. Yeah, I, I'd certainly agree with that. We we talked so much about Bianca Andreescu the, the other week after an incredible run in Auckland at the ASB Classic, reaching the finals there. And uh, she carried that momentum over through qualifying, which we mentioned the last episode. And then finally just... Uh, ran out of gas uh, against uh, Anastasia Sevastova. But to me, that was excellent signs overall to just be able to compete and be right there with a top 15 player like she was with Sevastova, the same shape, same way she was with uh, Julia Gerges in the final in Auckland. Yeah, it's good progress for, for Bianca because I was kind of worried she was going to come in and be physically either unable to, you know, get through qualities or just exhausted really from, you know, the whole experience, both physically and mentally, 
you know, you can just imagine how her phone must have blown up with text messages and social media posts and things like that. So for her to get through Quali so comfortably and then get through uh, Whitney uh, Osigwe, who's uh, another up-and-coming talent, only 16 years old, and, and gave Bianca quite a run in that first-round match. But for her to get through that, get her first Grand Slam main draw match, very positive. And then she pushes Sevastova to uh, a, a third set. So, uh, and that's the 13th seed in the tournament. So she's proving that she can hang with these bigger uh, players, more experienced players, as she showed in Auckland. It's going to be really cool to see her progress throughout this season. Her rankings come in. It must be, what, inside the top 100 with this result, I'm assuming, which is going to give her access to you know more tournaments. And, uh, and I think not that many points to defend, really, from last year with injury issues and playing typically ITF events. So uh, I think we could see a real quick rise for Bianca this year. Um, and it's going to be fun to watch what she uh, what she's capable of doing next. Yeah, she's slated to jump up uh, 18 places uh, with that run in Australia to number 88 in the world, which is just incredible strides forward. One thing I, I guess I'm really hoping uh, she takes care of this season is don't overschedule. Uh, you mm-hmm. just don't want to mm-hmm. overdo it, especially the way you've started out uh, 2019, which has been excellent, but a ton of tennis matches, and we know she was playing a lot of ITFs at the end of 2018. Obviously eager to get out there considering she was coming off back injury you kind of it's I guess a difficult balance of riding that high that I'm playing great tennis here but I don't want to physically exhaust myself and risk further injury yeah and this is where Tennis Canada and her team is really going to have to uh, you know uh, help in that regard I was speaking with her mother Maria at the end of the Tevlin Challenger in Toronto beginning of November where Bianca uh, made a, a deep run and she'd been playing a lot of tennis at that point And her mom was kind of saying, I hope she kind of just calls it a season and puts the brakes on. But as soon as she lost uh, her last match at the Tevlin, I want to say, I believe that was the final or or the semifinal anyways. And, um, and Bianca said to her mom, no, I want to keep going. I want to get back out there on the court. I want to play these two smaller ones in the States. And there was like no holding her back. So Mm -hmm. hopefully this year, there's a little bit more uh, forward thinking. And especially given the injury concern, she's got to be so careful because you don't want to derail and, and, and this momentum that she's on, we want to be able to, to keep it going, certainly if you're in the Andreescu camp, if you're a Canadian tennis fan. And I think in order to do that, you know, you got to tell the 18-year-old kid, hey, you got a lot of years ahead of you, hopefully. So uh, take it one step at a time and, and don't overdo it. Exactly. Though I, I do love her passion for the sport. You can tell she loves being out on court competing, which is obviously a wonderful sign and such great future ahead. Uh, we'll break down, I guess, what's approaching us for the quarterfinals on the women's side. Serena Williams, she's at the top end of the draw, and I see the number 16 next to her name, but it, it really just feels like she's the number one right now. She just beat the number one player in Simona Halep in three sets, and Simona Halep almost felt like Serena Williams is the favorite at this event. Karolina Pliskova is is next is is anyone ready to stop Serena right now yeah I think there are people who are ready to stop her I don't think Prishkova is necessarily in that group but uh, it was interesting you know heading out onto the court for her match against Halep I think the the Aussie Open um, you know court announcer was saying here's the number one and Serena started (laughs) moving because she's just so used to being introduced that way she still thinks of herself as a number one I'm sure of it and uh, if it weren't for that time off uh, for, for pregnancy and becoming a mom, she'd very likely have that ranking, if not being very close to it. So, uh, you know, I almost feel like when you beat the number one, you should get extra points because that should count for something special. And uh, Serena, I don't think she's going to have double digits behind her name for much longer the way things are going. 
so much better, uh, you know, just physically fit and, and ready and dialed in than she was last year. She's shaken off the rust. She's starting the season at the same time as her, her peers. And, uh, you know, Pliskova got her in 2016, the U.S. Open semifinals. But then, you know, Serena took her last summer when she wasn't even at her best in the, in the quarters there. So I think this next one for Serena won't be too tough. After that, it could get pretty interesting. And, uh, boy, you know, the sporting world is going to converge on the semifinal match if it ends up being a Serena versus Naomi Osaka rematch from the U.S. Open. What do you think that one would be like? Yeah, that will be uh, fantastic. Naomi Osaka is coming into this event, or coming through this event, I should say, really battle-tested. Back-to-back wins where she's been down a set and sometimes a break kind of on the verge in the second set, and she's fought her way through. So, uh, you know, she's she's not really like a Yelena Ostapenko, for example, kind of bursting on the scene with a Grand Slam title and then going through a hangover or a tough stretch where you feel like she can't string together victories. Osaka's done such a terrific job. Uh, uh, credit to her backing up her place since winning that emotional U.S. Open. And I think sometimes we look back at that match beating Serena Williams and probably remember it for all of the wrong reasons. Uh, the way things went down with uh, Serena and the chair umpire uh, kind of marring the result a little bit. Uh, but look, suffice to say, uh, Naomi Osaka played a brilliant match, brilliant tournament uh, in the United States. And she's doing so again in Melbourne. And she has a, a huge boatload of fans, well-established top five player. And uh, I'm intrigued to see how she fares against Alina Svitolina, who we are finally seeing a bit of a Grand Slam breakthrough for her. Yeah, I'm going to be watching that match for sure. I don't care what time it's on at. Um, yeah. o- Osaka, first of all, yeah, I'm very impressed that she kept her composure in her last two matches because there were times where it looked like she was going to go off the rails. And, and good for her to, you know, take a breath and be able to stick with it. Uh, this one against Fidelina is a big popcorn match for me, as some people like to use the term. Yep. You know, you've got the one who's been expected to have more slam success by this point already, but hasn't against Osaka, who had a major before we really thought she was even in that, uh, you know, upper echelon of, of contenders. So it's going to be neat to see them uh, in this one. And uh, Fidelina has a three to two head-to-head advantage, including both their matches in 2018. Neither of those were at the slams, though, of course. And and Osaka is now, in my mind, a different player having that first major under her belt. I don't know if I'm going to call this a breakthrough for Svitolina. She's made the quarters of slams before. To me, until she gets to the final four or beyond, I'm not calling it a breakthrough. But, um, it, you know, if it happens here, then I'll say, yeah, that's what we've been waiting for, much like on the men's side. And I guess this one's going to have to wait a little while longer. The uh, Sasha Zverev, uh, still very, you know, uh, troubling if I'm in that camp, hasn't had that, that breakthrough past the quarterfinals. So maybe Svitolina will do it here and, and put those demons to rest. And I think if she does, that'll just, you know, take that pressure off her back and allow her to swing more freely moving forward and maybe turn 2019 into a, a big season for the, uh, the Ukrainian uh, player. Yeah, and uh, another name we, we watched... Uh widely in 2018 Petra Kvitova just racking up WTA title after WTA WTA title but not producing that level at the Grand Slams has seemingly put those demons to rest making a terrific run and getting herself into a quarterfinal uh, dispatching Amanda Anisimova the last round we probably should touch on how unbelievable Anisimova was 17 year old just bursting onto the scene incredible game uh, but Petra Kvitova had no issues beating her 6-2-6-1 and she she will be slated to face the uh, hometown favorite in Ash Barty, who won an emotional match over Maria Sharapova. Very interesting storylines, I guess, on both sides there. 
Yeah, I mean, Kvitova, first of all, uh, beating Anisimova must have been therapeutic because the uh, 17-year-old got her a year ago, I want to say, in Miami or Indian Wells on the hard courts there for her biggest win uh, of her career up to this point. And boy, between her and, and, and Bianca, it's going to be neat to see these young ones coming up uh, this year and seeing what they can do. Kvitova, as you mentioned, so much success last year, but not at the slam level. I mean, in her last 15 slams since winning uh, Wimbledon in 2014, she's only made two quarterfinals. Uh, so here she is now, number the third quarterfinal, I guess. Uh, obviously, the crowd's going to be against her with uh, with Barty playing there. And Ash Barty was, uh, I guess if you, you want to say dark horse, she was the one I was sort of saying before this event to keep an eye on. So maybe I'll have my uh, Roberto Bautista Ogre <laughs> yes, moment yes. here. We'll, we'll see. Um, not as surprising because I think Barty's had some solid results and has been progressing quite well for a 22-year-old. Um, they played the Sydney final, these two, uh, to start the season, and that was Kvitova prevailing uh, in a tiebreak, I believe, in the in the third set. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's going to be, I'm sure it's going to be a, a three-set match, and uh, it's going to be a hard-hitting affair. But whoever comes out of this one is going to be the heavy, heavy favorite to make it to the finals, as you've got Pavlyuchenkova and Danielle Collins on the other side. Yeah, two very surprised underdog stories, but uh, knocking out the number two and the number five seeds, it was Danielle Collins with an incredible run. She took out Angelique Kerber and not only took her out, absolutely blew her off the court. Six love, six two, college player out of uh, the University of Virginia. She enters this event never having won a Grand Slam match, and I was just impressed with how cleanly she was striking the ball. Uh, impressive power from the baseline, big backhand is the weapon. Uh, she beat Julia Gerges in the first round, and it's just kind of rolled since then. Sloane Stevens, I had a lot of question marks about her coming into the event. Anyhow, I know she was dealing with a shoulder issue. Her tune-up wasn't especially great either, and here she goes falling to Pavlochenkova. She did make it to the fourth round, so I guess that's not not an awful result for, for a world number five. We'll see uh, what she can do at the French Open where she's had success in the past, but uh, there we have it. Our last eight players standing on the women's singles side. Uh, is is there any finals matchup you're expecting to see? I don't know what I'm expecting anymore, but I'll go out and give it a whirl just for fun here, if, if that's what you're asking me to do. Sure. Um, yeah, on the women's side, I really like Ash Barty, and I think with the home crowd support, it's going to propel her uh, past Kvitova and certainly past either one of Pavlyuchenkova or Collins. And Serena Williams, it's almost impossible, I think, to go against her right now. She's just got so much riding on getting slam number, you know, uh, 2024 20, and, and tying Margaret court. And, and she's so hungry out there. So I'm going to go for a Serena Ash Barty final. Uh, and, and on the, you want me to give my men's pick here too? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Man, well, I'm, it's not exciting, I guess. Not as exciting. <laughs> jo- Djokovic on the one side. Okay. It's, uh, it's going to be a, a huge task for Nishikori or, or potentially Milos to take him out. So I'm going to go with Djokovic against Sissipas. Ooh. Who I think will avenge? Who will avenge his Rogers Cup defeat to Nadal in the semis on that side? Wow! Uh, don't don't ask me who I'm going to pick in the final. I'm just going to say those are my my two on the women's and two on the men's that I'm going with. All right, that's uh, that's fun way to mix it up on the men's side. We'll start with the women's side. It's a shame if you're waking up and and going to listen to this podcast in the morning that uh, one of us is going to get this wrong because Patrick Kvitova <laughs> and Ash Barty are going to be playing at 3 a.m. I'll just go in the other direction because I, I love the tennis Petra Kvitova has been playing and I'm going to say she overcomes maybe a hostile crowd and continues to play that blistering baseline tennis that has carried her this far, reaches the semifinals and then 
then takes out either Pavlochenko or Collins, where she would be the heavy favorite, and is into the final. Uh, maybe as, as fun as it would be to be different and pick against Serena Williams, the way she's playing right now, and just beat the world number one, Simona Halep, I, I can't see uh, anyone stopping her from reaching this final. So Serena Williams, Petra Kvitova would be a fantastic final to see on the women's side. Look, Nadal Djokovic is certainly the most likely scenario that we're going to have on the men's side. If I was being sensible, that's what I would pick. And they've had a couple classics, uh, well, so many classics in the past, but particularly at the Australian Open 2012 was maybe maybe their most memorable Grand Slam final ever, which lasted over five hours, went to the fifth set, 7-5. But I'm going to mix it up and... Canadian Milos Raonic is going to shock Novak Djokovic in the semifinals, <laughs> just blistering that serve the way he's been doing uh, for the past seven days. He'll reach his second Grand Slam final. He'll run out of gas, unfortunately, uh, facing Rafael Nadal. How about that? Nadal versus Milos Raonic in the final. That's great. I mean, I figure if you're going that way, I'm going my One of us has got to get something right here between the men's and the women's draw and, and come out looking like semi-knowledgeable, right? You would think out of four players, we're going to hit on at least one of the four. I feel like Serena is probably the safest pick, um, and Djokovic is probably a safe one for you. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And then, hey, we can wrap this up in a week and then get back to regular scheduled like sleeping hours, waking hours. I don't know about you. I'm getting kind of tired of being asked, hey, are you feeling okay, man? You got like bags <laughs> under your eyes. And uh, it's... Uh, I feel like I'm in a different time zone. So one more week, I can do it, and, and then we'll get back to, to our regular Eastern time zone matches, hopefully. I know you said uh, the Australian Open is your favorite Grand Slam. The only reason it is not my favorite is because we are 16 hours behind Melbourne, Australia. Probably, probably if I lived there, it would be my favorite as well. It's a sacrifice we have to make for the uh, the sport we love, eh? Yeah, and uh, the sacrifice we make for the Southpaw Slice. Be sure to join us next week when we get to wrap up the whole tournament and we'll have some Australian Open champions to talk about. You've been listening to the Southpaw Slice. Find us on Twitter at Southpaw underscore Slice. We'll see you next time. I wish I was beautiful